Good morning, North Central University. It is wonderful uh, to see everyone here this morning. Today is the last day of solemn assembly. Now, I don't know if you're like me, and some of you are experiencing tension uh, and have felt tension because of the election results. I think a lot of us in here are experiencing fatigue concerning the election. And I want to highlight that our service today, our prayer time, is not focusing on the election. What we're doing is we're looking to Jesus. That's where our focus is this morning. Many of our pastors here on campus will be leading us today in the Lord's Prayer because we're going to pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. And we're going to pray for the country in light of the Lord's Prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be followed by our New Testament professor, Dr. O'Connor, who's going to say a few words about the Lord's Prayer. And then following him, various faculty will be coming forward to lead in each line of the Lord's Prayer and then to lead in prayer for the country in light of that line. We will then have some time of silent prayer from the stage to give you time to pray on your own as we move to the next line of the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to begin this morning with Dr. O'Connor. So the great Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said, it is blasphemy to wish to make God an accomplice in hating. Today we turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer in which we see we cannot strong-arm God. We cannot make God do whatever we want, to love the things we love and to hate the things we hate. We might pray in public, we might fast until we can't see straight, we might save every penny we have, and we might even worry ourselves unto sickness. But try as we might, we cannot build a tower tall enough to reach God. We can't make God do what we want, and we cannot hijack the purposes of God for our own agendas. This is where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6. We're tossed right in the middle of bald-faced hypocrisy. Some are giving to the poor only to be seen. Some are praying lofty and well-crafted prayers only for the public eye. In their piety, both Jew and Greek alike, Matthew tells us, have used God in the public square in order to get attention. The intimate and holy practice of talking with God has been commandeered for public recognition. We must remember that in Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, not because everyone around them has suddenly stopped praying and become godless. It's quite the opposite, in fact. Everyone around them is praying but they're praying for their own gain. The Jewish and Greek environment in which Jesus utters these words is very religious. This is not a case of praying too little. It's a case of praying too much. Praying gone off the rails, praying for one's own self-interest. Prayer in this context has become the Super Bowl halftime show. In the middle of a world saturated with prayers to this God and that God, Jesus offers us a simple, concise, and theologically potent prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Many have noted how the Lord's Prayer has two essential directions. In the first half of the prayer, we have God above and the things of God. God's kingdom, God's name, God's will. And for the second half of the prayer, we have humanity and the things of humanity, our food, our sustenance, our debts and our worries. And at the very core, right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, we have this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Built into the structure of the Lord's Prayer, right at the center, we have heaven meeting earth. God wants to meet us here on earth. 
God wants to meet us here at North Central University. According to Matthew, God knows exactly what we need before we even ask. We need not babble on and on, begging for God's attention. We need not make a show out of it. Jesus' prayer is simple and powerful because God knows exactly what we need. In many ways, the Sermon on the Mount reorients us. Jesus' teaching on prayer is accompanied by many other things that we might find quite radical. Loving our enemies, controlling our anger and godless impulses, staving off our constant desire for money, removing the logs that are lodged into our own eyes. This prayer empties us of all the facades and all the masks we wear. According to Matthew, prayer is not a time to show off. May Jesus' prayer become our own prayer today as we pray in this place. And may the things of God meet us here on earth, right in the middle of chaos, confusion, uncertainty. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven, we ask you, the Father of us all, for grace to live in unity with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that our primary identity is in you. No matter our major, our gender, our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status, our birth or home state, our political views, or our calling in your kingdom, we are all Christ followers. We are all Christians. We are all people who aim to follow Christ's example in every way we can in our lives. And we all look to you, our Father. We are one in you. Please help us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as we are one body and have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. Our Father, our Father, help us to remain as one. Our Father, may the world look at us and know we are your family by the love we have for each other. Help us also to stand together as your body as we demonstrate your love to a hurting world. Our Father, we also pray for unity within the country we live. We pray that you would grant peace in this transition time. We pray for our elected leaders, that they would lead in ways that bring Americans together. We thank you for the peace you have given in prior election cycles, and we ask again for your mercy and grace as we transition again. Our Father, please give us unity as your family in Christ, as one nation under you. Our Father, our God.
let's take the next three minutes and just pray for national unity. We pray for national unity because he's not just my father, he's our father. We also pray, hallowed be thy name, because we're praying for God's name to be set apart. In praying that, we're implying that there is no other name like the name of God. So in light of that prayer, we're going to pray for our national leadership, praying that God would give them wisdom, but also that God would give them humility so that they don't govern for the sake of their own name. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My your name, Lord, be set apart over all the earth. There is no name like your name. You are the one who set creation into being by the power of your word. You are the one who saw your people in danger and you separated the waters of the Red Sea. You are the one who has called cowards to be generals, shepherds to be kings, farmers to be prophets, fishermen, tax collectors, and even oppressors to be apostles of your good news. When it seemed like worldly powers had finally won, you even raised King Jesus from the dead. There is no name like your name, our Father. There is no name like the name of Jesus. We pray as a community for our national leadership, both for the leadership that is and the leadership that is to come, whether in the White House and Capitol Hill or the Supreme Court. We pray that our leadership would receive godly wisdom to guide and to govern, to decide and to vote, to compromise, and to stand firm. We know that the beginning of godly wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We pray that our leadership would recognize that their name is not like your name, that they would have the humility to lead wisely and to govern effectively. We are praying that our leadership will not compete for greatness but will govern for goodness. May your name be the only name that is great. May your name be set apart in our country from our leadership on down to us, we pray. Let's spend the next few minutes praying for our national leadership. Lord, that you would give the wisdom where 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus, Lord. have your way. Jesus, have your way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not long after World War II, a young man from Egypt went to America, lived in Colorado to do his master's degree in a kind of a conservative town. He was so excited to go to America. We had just helped win World War II. Uh, American movies were being shown all over his country. Everything about America just seemed so unique, so um, almost ethereal, just so, so different than what uh, his childhood in Egypt offered him. As he went, he tried to go to a cinema one night, and they would not let him in because of the color of his skin. He was a dark-skinned Egyptian, and he was not allowed in. A little bit later, he was invited to a dance at a church, and much to his surprise, at a place of worship, people were dancing and touching each other, men and women, which just does not happen in Islamic culture generally, dressed quite sensuously, and he was just shocked that this could happen in the house of God. And of course, a little bit later, in 1948, Israel became a nation, and it's like all of Americans almost assumed that was God's will, and nobody showed much interest in the Palestinians. So he went back to Egypt, very disillusioned with our country, and started writing that there is no hope in America. Don't look to America, look to Islam. And this man is the godfather of all Islamic radicalism, whether it's ISIS or Osama bin Laden or anybody you can name that has done destruction in the name of Islam. He is their godfather. He is their, their uh, inspiration, the one who wrote the books that they all quote and cite. Here's a man who set his hides very high on America and his hopes were dashed. But just last night, I had some friends over to watch the election results. One of them was from Iran. As he's watching the results, he just said over and over, he said this to me for many, many years, I've known him for a long, long time. What is wrong with America? They don't, Americans, they don't understand how precious this country is. They don't realize this is the only hope in the world. When I was in Iran, the only hope I saw in the world was America. Everywhere else is falling apart. Why are they trying to destroy it? He can't understand it. Today I'm having lunch with two more friends from the Middle East, and they said the same thing to me over and over. America is the only real hope of this world. Why are we trying to destroy it, it seems like? So as we pray this prayer today, the, this is about not just America alone, but our standing in the world. It's about where we're headed. Our king, the kingdom of God has to become, and, and, and people have looked at America like this is what the kingdom should look like. And they're not seeing it right now. Can we pray that not because America is perfect, obviously, or ever will be, but can we pray at least that we model a little bit what heaven might look like, whether it's in terms of, of our racial harmony, our economic justice, our, our choice of life, all these issues that are dividing us. Oh, Lord, will you help us to come together that people might around the world look at and say, wow. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and we are fleshing out in America. So, oh God, we come before you in the name above every name. My heart's heavy today, oh Lord, because we have so far, we've fallen so far from what you'd have us be as a nation, as a people. Oh, if my people would call themselves by my name and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I will heal their land. Lord, may we express, may we be a model of what the kingdom should look like in the church. And Lord, may the church permeate the rest of our society, oh Lord. May people come from other countries that are battered and broken and seen all the destruction and say, wow, I finally made it. I think of my friend that I talked about last night, how he's come here. He could always speak English, and now he has a business. His kids are all in college. One of his kids, 21 years old, has a six-figure income. He sees America as a great hope that he never had in his home country. That's been a beacon for people around the world, Lord, to come here and, and, and see what it could be like a just society. So, Lord, will you help us? Will you restore us, O Lord? Can we hear the prayer of Jesus? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's take a minute just to pray quietly for these needs. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
God help us. Give us this day our daily bread. Growing up Lutheran, I was used to the cadence of these words, yet not attaching any meaning to them. I assumed that the bread would come. Some can't assume. This part of the prayer addresses the need for that which is, ne which is necessary in our lives to continue on, food or resources. One such scholar points out a few different things from this phrase. The original phrase translated from Greek back to Syriac, which was close to the original Aramaic, uh, brings this out as we read Give us this day our daily bread. Think about this. Amen. Bread today, give to us. The meaning behind what kind of bread we're to receive is kind of out in the ether. When it would come, that was also up for discussion. But one thing landed once it came back to the original language. It was that of unceasing bread. Not just daily, but unceasing. Now and not yet. Bread for now and for the future, not just a little, but definitely enough. Today, as we pray this prayer, we also realize that people might be kept from justly receiving the resources they need. This prayer answers the famine. It answers the withheld resource. Unceasing bread is the answer to a cry for justice in these situations. What if somebody takes what I have? This prayer answers that unceasing bread. Fear can become the, offer, the author to our actions at times, which might motivate us to do things outside of waiting on God for this. Yet through this prayer, we look to God as the author for our resource and not fear any longer. Unceasing. The other word we read in this phrase was pointed out by Dr. Tennyson. It's our word, our. Loving our neighbor as ourselves shifts our I thoughts to now consider we thoughts. I think of the phrase from Jack Johnson, a poet from the 90s. If you got one sandwich, cut that thing in half. My resource is our resource in the church. Let's pray for God to provide justice to those who have been kept from resources that will enable them to live and flourish, always remembering that those resources come from the one who gives gifts and who owns all things. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. Help us to consider the other our neighbor who is close to us and must be close to us. We trust you, God. You will bring these into being. Where it seems like nothing will show up, the church will answer. We may be the, that answer for the day, Lord. On a personal level, we will be that answer we're claiming today. Help us, Lord, to be aware of we. Help us, Lord, to be aware of our and not to rest in I prayers. Lord, we pray for justice. We pray for the world set to rights once again as we look to you, God, as the one who's going to shift hearts 
who's going to mend countries and mend relationships. All glory to you, God, through every step of our journey towards you as you call us to obedience. Take a moment and consider what you can do as part of this prayer in action and then also call out on behalf of those who don't know what to do, who can't assume bread. If you recite the Lord's Prayer by memory with a group of people outside of your local church, I imagine things go pretty smoothly until you get to this fourth line. And here's where the confusion comes in. Some will say, forgive us our debts. Some will say, forgive us our trespasses. And others will say, forgive us our sins. And how we recite that phrase usually depends more on what English-speaking Christian tradition influenced us than probably what Bible translation we use. Those who are raised in Presbyterian or Reformed traditions are, are more likely to say debts. Those who come from Anglican, Episcopalian, Methodist, or Roman Catholic traditions are more likely to say trespasses. Those whose churches were influenced by liturgical movements of the late 20th century are more likely to say sins. So the, the question is, which, which word is the right one? In Luke's version of the prayer, Jesus says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So which word is right? One answer might be that right after the Lord's Prayer, right after the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave to everyone that day, the verses immediately following it, that are not on the screen is Matthew 6, 14 through 15. And what did Jesus say? He said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so he's just simply saying this is really all about, right, one thing, and that is forgiveness, nothing else. It's just that simple. Because if we forget that, we've forgotten everything. And the Lord's Prayer means really basically nothing. And that's where we have to start. And so at this moment, the Lord's Prayer turns dramatically, right, from just like even bread, which is something that's for the family, right, square, smack dab, piercing our own heart, our own soul, on our own mind. Because when we talk about forgiveness, it gets really, really personal here. And that's where the Lord's speaking to us right now. And so we have to offer up prayers. We have to render our heart open to what forgiveness means for us. And that looks a little bit different for all of us. 
For some of us, it goes way back. For others, it may be something even recent. For some of us, it may just be a state of mind. Here's what I know today, that forgiveness for me has to be just about me. And I can't worry about forgiving others until I've learned that I have to forgive myself and I have to reach out to God for that forgiveness, that he ultimately is the only one who gives it to us. Maybe you're like me. As I read this prayer, I, I thought, wow, this is where I got to start. Listen to these words. You asked for my hands, that you might use them for your purpose. I gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for my mouth to speak out against injustice. I gave you a whisper that I might not be accused. You asked for my eyes to see the pain of poverty. I closed them, for I did not want to see. You asked for my life, that you might work through me. I gave you a small part that I might not get too involved. Lord, forgive my calculated efforts to serve you only when it is convenient for me to do so only in those places where it is safe to do so, only with those who make it easy to do so. Father, forgive me, renew me, and send me out as a usable instrument that I might take seriously the work and the meaning of the cross. When we have neglected your claim upon our lives, when we have failed to affirm others whom you have called, when we have stumbled from your ways, Forgive us our sins, O God, as we forgive those who sin against us. When we have wounded others, when we have been too rigid or too easily swayed, or when we have been self-protecting or oversensitive, forgive us our sins, O God, as we forgive those who sin against us. When we have guarded our privileges while others suffer, when we have used our weakness as an excuse for inaction, when we lose the will to answer your summons, forgive us our sins, O God, as we forgive those who sin against us. Father, right now, speak to us all in our own heart. May we reach to you for forgiveness. Forgive us, O God. We pray it. Would you please reach out to him as the Holy Spirit right now speaks to you individually personally seek it seek forgiveness because then with it you can learn to forgive others us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Although we're kind of breaking up this prayer into separate little sentences, I, I don't want you to not think that these thoughts do not flow one from the other, that we're talking about the, this idea of forgiving debts and then moving right into leading us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's no disputing the fact that this world is full of evil. All you have to do is turn on the news and to see that reality. There's things around us that sometimes we can't complain or, or uh, explain, we can't comprehend. Injustices exist. As you read through the Old Testament prophets, you see over and over one of the major indictments that God has against the people is their, their lack of care for the poor, for the marginalized, for the widows, for the orphans, for the foreigner, for the sojourner. 
Evil exists in a multitude of different ways and maybe you've experienced evil yourself. And before I pray, I wanna just take just the next few moments for you yourself to pray for the evil in this world, maybe the injustices that you've experienced. Maybe you personally have experienced some things. Again, remember, this thought flows out of this thought of forgiveness. God, deliver us from evil. Perhaps there's a key there as we walk forward in seeking for restoration, this forgiveness and deliverance component. Take the next few moments and pray, and then I'll lead you in prayer. thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the hope for this world that despite the evil that exists around us Jesus has come to pay the price the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sin Lord. We don't have to continue to live in evil. We don't have to continue to live in that oppression but there's freedom and victory through Christ. God, as we pray for peace in this world, I pray that you would move us by your spirit. God, move us by the Holy Spirit to break down the barriers, God, that bring division. God, break down the barriers of evil in this world. God, break down the barriers of fear. God, of suspicion, of hatred. God, these things that cause division in the body of Christ, these things that cause division amongst neighbors, these things that cause division amongst families, they manifest themselves in many ways, these evils of the world. God, heal us, Lord. Unite us, God. Unite us through justice and peace. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see each other. God, as fellow human beings, God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, God, as our neighbor, to love one another, Lord, to resist evil, to love one another, to love you. God, I pray that in everything we do, Lord, God, we would seek to bring you honor and to bring you glory. Thank you, Jesus. line of this prayer for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen it starts with the word for which means this is the reason the because for everything that came before so give us this day our daily bread Forgive us our debts. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us because yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory, not just today, but forever. As an Old Testament teacher, one of the things, the very first lesson I give in my Old Testament history and literature class, we look at Psalms 2, which asks, why do the nations conspire? Why do the peoples plot in vain against God and his anointed? We look at how the Old Testament teaches over and over again that no empire, no ruler, no strength, no country can do anything if God has not allowed it. And so even in this time, that our country is going through, we can find hope because nothing is happening that God is not in control of. And this passage not only reminds us that God is the power and his glory forever, but also we remember that this is his kingdom, thine kingdom, and we that's repeated, thy kingdom, right at the beginning and here at the end, reminding us that this isn't our thing to define. We need to seek God. One of the great things, I think, um, a benefit that I have from being a missionary kid is I grew up very much understanding that God's kingdom has no borders. God's kingdom is my African brother in Burkina Faso, Chinese sister, and that God is calling us to, no matter what the powers think that they can do in the world, no matter how they boast and say, look at my strength, that we are called to remain faithful to our king and to remain the church, and that means the whole world church, to care for our brother and sister. God, I pray that you will help us to remember exactly what it means to be a part of your kingdom. First of all, that You've won. Why do we fear when no power can do anything without you? Help us to trust you. And in that trust, may we find, in you, may we find unity with each other. Teach us to love our brother and our sister the way we love ourselves. And help us to remember that our brother and sister extends much beyond our national identity. Because you are king over the whole world and we are your kingdom. A kingdom without borders across the whole world. Lord, in our inability to trust you, may you give us strength to trust you more. In your name we pray. Amen.
In just a moment, we'll conclude this time by standing and reciting in one accord and together the Lord's Prayer. But before we do, we want to pray for the power of God to move on this campus at North Central University. Jesus said, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And although this campus is not built on a hilltop, it is surely a city set on a hill. And in a very unique position to touch the neighborhood around it, the Twin Cities outward, our nation and around the world because students come into this place, faculty come and teach at the school and are touched and changed forever by God's power. And then we go from this place. But it's not just something in the future, but it's something right now. Do you realize that God wants to use us today to touch things around us? And the only way that can happen is as His Spirit is poured out on this place. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, asking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the campus of North Central University. Let your manifest presence fill this campus, our faculty and staff, and our student body. As we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, we ask that you would grant the NCU community boldness to demonstrate your amazing love and proclaim your mighty word, and that you would stretch out your hand, O God, to heal and do all manner of signs and wonders through each member of this campus family. Holy Spirit, help us to work and live together in unity and to love one another so that we might demonstrate to a hurting world what it means to follow after our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, would you just take a moment? I want you to begin to pray for every person on your floor or in the dorm room next to you or who you live with. I want our faculty to pray for those those offices right next door, just down the hall. Let's lift up our president, Dr. Hagen, that the power of God will move in and through his life. And that God, as you pour out your spirit, will be transformed. Would you pray it? Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Start saying people's names that you know. Ask God's power to move through them. Pour out your spirit on us, O Lord, right here at North Central University. Do it, O Lord. Do it, O Lord. We call out to you. We name our colleagues, our fellow workers, our leaders, students we're together with, friends, God, pour out your spirit on North Central University in a new and amazing way, Lord. We lift our voice. We lift our voice and we call upon it. We ask you for it, O Lord. Now let's stand together and let's recite this prayer together as a seal of God on our heart. Are you ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you today as you go.